0: Colossians 4 and verse 7. We're at the end. Did you know that was coming? Today's it. The end of Colossians. Let's look, verse 7 to the end. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts and with him Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who's one of you. Always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear, wit- bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Father, we come now to your word Your word that never changes, never fades like the grass in the field. Your word that endures forever. Would you cause us to see wonderful things from your word today. Instruct our hearts and minds and more than anything lift up your son, our savior, Jesus Christ. That he might be praised in our midst. In his name I pray. Amen. Please be seated. So we've spent almost four months Uh, going through the book of Colossians, this is the 14th sermon, and you may think we could have done it a lot more quickly, Seth, it's not that long of a book, but I hope that you will see through this study the value of God's word. The book is only 2,000 words, 2,000 words, average adult reads 200 to 250 words a minute, so even if you're on the slowest end of the spectrum like me, we could, we could read this book in 10 minutes. It's just not a long book, not a long letter. And yet we've spent some time going through it, and some might even argue that, I being one, that we could have plumbed the depths even further because there were some places where I felt like I just was speeding up through it. God's Word is rich. Consider the words of the psalmist in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. God's word is beautiful. It is wise. It is good for our souls. I hope another thing that you've seen is that we allow Scripture to interpret Scripture. A few of you have commented to me on how many times I reference and read other passages of Scripture. I do that intentionally because I want you at the end of the day to know that it's not my opinion nor the opinion of any scholar that I've read and quoted. It's it's God's opinion that matters. And so we look to Scripture to interpret Scripture, and we meditate on it, we read it, we study it, We know it that we may be men and women of the Bible. A third thing that I hope that has resulted in this study is that you love Jesus more. I hope that you have seen him in a greater light and that your understanding of his person and the work that he has accomplished has deepened. I hope your love for him has grown, that your life has been altered, that you think differently, speak differently, and act differently. Maybe that's a high hope. Or maybe we think only in grand terms. I'm speaking in normal terms, in the way that most of us grow. It isn't like we see lightning bolts and hear clashes of thunder and our lives are transformed every Sunday. It's a, it's a steady plotting often that takes place as the Holy Spirit changes us and conforms us into the image of the Son. But I hope that that is taking place each and every Sunday through the preaching of the Word and as we worship together. And that will be. Uh, my continued prayer for all of us as we start our next study next week in the book of Genesis. But today we come to the concluding remarks of Colossians, and you may have been one who, as we read those words, thought, how is this a sermon? These are just greetings of a bunch of people that have been dead a really long time. How is this preachable? What are, what are we going to talk about today? Let me remind all of us of this. 2 Timothy 3.16 says... All Scripture is breathed out by God, and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, and for correction, for training in righteousness, that each of us may be equipped. And so to that end, let's look at the closing words of Colossians. This list of people that we see here is the second longest of any of Paul's epistles. The only one that was longer was Romans. And one of the things that this shows us is that the body of Christ is made up of people. The kingdom of our Lord is made up of people. It's a spiritual kingdom that involves earthly beings, you and me. God uses people, ordinary people, to accomplish his purposes. Some people we know more about. Other people in this passage, it's the only place that we ever hear of them, and we know nothing more of them. But a point to consider is that people matter. You matter. Your life matters. Your story, your gifts, your experiences, what God is doing in and through you matters. We think of passages like, you know, Paul watered and Barnabas, uh, or Paul planted and Barnabas, or I can't even remember. I should have written that down. But you know what I'm talking about. But who gives the increase, right? God gives the increase. So we don't know the role that we're playing in people's lives, We don't know what God is doing. His economy is not our economy. His ways are not our ways. But your life matters because He is doing something in and through you for His purposes. And the same is true of the person seated near you. God is working in and through us all. But He rarely does things the same way twice. C.S. Lewis captured this. If you've read the Chronicles of Narnia... You know, in Prince Caspian, or seen the movies, this actually made it into the movie, Prince Caspian. Um, Lucy, at the end of the movie, she's troubled because Aslan didn't show up the way that he did before. And Aslan asks her the question, knowing that she's troubled, why didn't you come to me for help, Lucy? And Lucy says, I'm sorry, why didn't you come in and save us like the last time? And Aslan replies, things never happen the same way twice. I think Lewis captures something there in that what we often do is we read a biography or we hear a story or we look at someone else's life and we see how God has answered his prayers and we say, why doesn't he do that for me? Why hasn't that ever happened in my life? God's writing a unique story in your life. You are a unique person and your life is a part, your life, your story, that uniqueness is a part of God's story of redemption that he is writing So let's consider these ten people here that are mentioned by name. Just quickly looking at each one, Tychicus is first. And the first thing I wondered as I looked at Tychicus is, why don't more people name their sons Tychicus? (laughs) We name our sons Paul and Luke and, you know, these other biblical names. I guess Tychicus doesn't just roll off the tongue. Um, But he was a clearly faithful and loved partner with Paul in the gospel he was a trusted co-worker Luke mentions him um, as traveling with Paul on his third missionary journey it's likely that Tychicus was with them all the way to Rome you remember that journey was a little bit troubling they had a storm and ended up down on the island of Malta and were shipwrecked and ended up staying there for a while Paul not only appreciated Tychicus, he wanted the Colossians to appreciate and to respect him as well. He calls him a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. Paul expresses his love for him, that others love him, and he's communicating this to the Colossians. He also says that he's a faithful minister. Um, This word that's translated minister is also translated in other places, servant. The role of a minister is a servant. It's a shame that I have to make this a point in our day and time because so many people in the American church have turned the role of minister into CEO, into celebrity, into rock star, into charismatic personality, into author, into fill in the blank. The role of the minister is first and foremost a servant, a servant of the Lord, but a servant to the people who God has entrusted him, and that is what... Paul is expressing about Tychicus now. And then he also calls him a fellow servant in the Lord, which is really the idea of a slave, that Paul understood as a fellow servant that he too was a slave of Christ. In other words, their lives were not their own. They belonged, they were bought, they were purchased by their Savior, which is also true of us. And then Tychicus is entrusted with the task of telling the Colossians about Paul's activities and his status, how we are, and also to encourage your hearts. He's coming to encourage them. It's interesting that Paul doesn't use space in the letter to tell them about what's been going on. Clearly, they were curious what's been happening to Paul in Rome, and if we admit it, aren't we a little curious? (laughs) Why didn't he include some details? We would have loved to have known more, but God and his providence saw fit that that wasn't needed as part of this passage of Scripture. And so Tychicus and Onesimus are charged with bringing those details, and we don't get those. This that matters is what's included and what's before us. I mentioned Onesimus. He's here with Tychicus. He's going to travel. They're going to deliver this letter, as well as to a letter uh, by the name of Philemon. And as I've mentioned before, Philemon was the owner of Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave, and somehow, uh, after he escaped from Philemon, he came across the path of Paul and God drew him to himself and saved him. And as Paul was discipling him, he wanted him to be restored to Philemon as brothers in Christ, that there is neither slave nor free. Can you imagine the fear of Onesimus and going back as a new believer A new disciple thinking, is this really going to work? Is this really going to work in my favor? Or am I going to be beaten? Am I going to lose my life? And we can see what Paul's instructions were to Philemon in that letter. Paul adds that he is our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you. That there is no social class in the body of Christ. There is no elitism in the body of Christ. He is our faithful and beloved brother one of you, trustworthy, reliable, and Paul is now sending him as well with Tychicus to give the message of how he is doing and to encourage their hearts. What a testimony this really became of Onesimus standing before them and giving this update. Aristarchus, we've seen him a number of times when we went through Acts. Uh, He traveled quite a bit with Paul. Paul here calls him his fellow prisoner. And while some scholars think that this could have been metaphorical, I think it's probably literal. Aristarchus was with Paul on his last missionary journey and certainly made it to Rome with him. Whether he was charged or not with the same crime as Paul, we don't know. He simply could have been experiencing the same change voluntarily to go and to assist uh, Paul in his work while he was in prison caring for him because Paul certainly wrote a number of letters during that time. And then comes Mark. Mark is, to me, the highlight of the list. because you remember the story of John Mark, you remember how this all started on the first missionary journey that we see in Acts? John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, went with Paul. They go to Cyprus on their first missionary journey, and then something happens. We don't know what the details are, but there's a real falling out, and John Mark leaves. And Paul considers this an act of betrayal, And so much so that he and Barnabas part ways. Barnabas goes with John Mark and Paul goes with Silas. And so here we see, as Paul Harvey would say, the rest of the story. Because God restored Paul and John Mark. Mark is now back with Paul. What a great encouragement to us to see this relationship restored. And now Mark, if he comes, Paul says, is to be welcomed. Paul refers to some instructions, we don't know what they are, Uh, but Mark was well-connected. He was clearly someone who was uh, gifted, Uh, he wrote the Gospel of Mark, Uh, he certainly would have been a teacher, he spent considerable time with Peter as well. Peter calls him my son, in reference to Mark in 1 Peter 5. So, Mark was an important person in the early life of the church, even though we don't know much about him except these few references a man who had once been deemed unworthy by Paul. Does that give you hope? <laughs> it gives me hope, you know, that there's restoration, that there's, there is, and, and Peter as well. Peter understood. Maybe that's why Peter felt like Mark was a son to him, because Peter got it. Peter had been through that. Just an interesting historical note, you think about this. Who's with Paul in Rome here? You've got Mark and you've got Luke. Two of the authors of, of two of the Gospels, were they comparing notes? Were they sources to one another with their homework and their research? That's a whole other debate about how, who, who helped who. But clearly, I think they would have been sharing notes and comparing notes while they were there together. The next is uh, Jesus or Justice. Uh, the only mention that we have of him, really. We don't know much more about him. Uh, Paul adds that he and Mark and Aristarchus are the only ones of his countrymen who have remained faithful to him in service. These Jewish background believers were the only ones who had remained loyal to Paul. Not loyal to Christ. Obviously, there were many Jewish background believers at this time. But Paul had been given a unique mission as a missionary to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And only three of his Jewish brothers uh, had remained with him. And he adds, they have been a comfort to me. Later, we'll find in, uh, in, in Paul's last letter that he, uh, by the end of his ministry, only Luke uh, was left with him. We don't know what happened uh, with the other two. So Paul gives us these three Jewish background believers, and then he gives us these three, uh, these three Gentile believers, beginning with Epaphras in verse 12. Epaphras, who was one of you? Epaphras was actually the one who brought the gospel to Colossae. Epaphras had come to faith in Ephesus under the ministry of Paul, and he had been sent back home to the Lycus Valley. He was from Colossae. He was a hometown boy. And Paul says he is a servant of Christ, adding further, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, and that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Herapolis. Epaphras had been the evangelist. Now he is bringing further encouragement and instruction to this young church. He was one of their own, so they loved him, and he loved them. And his work and his prayers were to the end that they may stand mature, fully assured in the will of God, which is a model for us in terms of how we are to work to extend the gospel, that we are not just Uh, just the work of evangelism, but we do the work of church planting with it, the work of discipleship, that we want to see everyone mature, fully assured in all of the will of God. And like Tychicus, he too was a faithful minister. Paul mentions this in the opening words of Colossians. The gospel which has come to you, Paul says, is indeed to the whole world. It is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is your faithful minister, or he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love and spirit. So, Epaphras had done this work of not only taking the gospel to them and and really pastoring this church, now he's coming back to Paul with the good news of what is happening, and now Paul sends him back with more uh, strengthening work to do. Luke is mentioned next, and it's here that we find out Luke's vocation. We know Luke was a physician. It's this passage that tells us that, Dr. Luke. Um, We also learn that Luke was a Gentile. There was some... Uh, question about that because it's not revealed. Luke doesn't tell us about himself. When we read the gospel of Luke or we read the account of Acts, we don't really learn. He doesn't say much about himself. He's a humble author. But here, Paul tells us a little bit about him and that his vocation was that of a physician and that he was a Gentile and including him in these three other uh, Gentiles. Luke is the one who traveled with Paul extensively. Remember when we went through Acts, the number of times where the language changed from they to we. And we knew that, that was, those were the times that, that Luke was with Paul in recounting those stories. Demas is next and is given just a quick nod here. Uh, Demas is one of those sad stories because Demas would pr- prove to be unreliable uh, later. And again, in Paul's last letter, he wrote... Of Demas, that in love uh, with this, pre- that he in love with this present world has deserted me. What a sad story that is! That uh, Demas didn't um, guard his heart, fell in love with the things of this world, got lured away, and whatever the details were, uh, he walked away from the work and the ministry, swept up by his love for the world. So it's a it's a reminder to us. To hold firm to the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ. To not ever be so naive or so uh, proud really to think that we too couldn't be swept away by the things of this world. Nympha is mentioned next. She's the host of the church in Laodicea. It's her home that the church there meets. And Paul sends his greetings to her as well. And then we also get a little insight into how the letters worked. And isn't it interesting that the letters made their rounds. They were sent to be read. After being read at one church, they were sent to another church to be read. But Paul here mentions a letter that was to go to Laodicea, and it needed to be brought back and read at Colossae. But we don't have that, do we, in in the text? So there's some insight there into what God superseded in the writing of these letters, what he intended for Scripture, and letters that we have no record of that were not intended for Scripture, the letter to Laodicea being one of them. And finally, Archippus. We don't know a whole lot about him. Uh, He's mentioned in the letter to Philemon. Paul calls him a fellow soldier there. The idea that he was certainly in ministry with Paul, uh, probably either the son of Philemon or a nephew. He was a family member with Philemon and his family. And Paul gives the instruction to him here, um, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. What does that sound like? sounds an awful lot like Paul's words to Timothy, the young minister. And so most scholars believe that Archippus was as well a young minister in the faith that needed encouragement. Like he told Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, Do the work of an evangelist, your ministry discharged to the full. The same kind of language that he speaks to Archippus there, who needed probably some encouragement and maybe a little bit of challenge in his work to do. Okay, so we've looked at these ten people. Uh, we've seen maybe some interesting things. What is, how does all this matter? Well, the big idea here is that God, again, uses ordinary people, but we're all on the same team. We're all on the same team. And so often what we as Christians do is turn things into some kind of competitive work or we look down our noses at the work of others. We need to be reminded that it is Christ's kingdom and we serve at his pleasure. We serve him, and we work unto him, and we thank God for how he's working through other people and through their gifts, but he plans and will use you. Your story matters. You think you're insignificant? You're not. As Francis Schaeffer said, there's no little people. God will, is, and will use you for his... He didn't save you for no purpose. He saved you for a reason and he will use you to that end. And although the kingdom and its work is not dependent on any one of us, we're all disposable, God kindly chooses to use us with our gifts and our experiences and our stories to accomplish his purpose for his glory. Even our mistakes, even our fumbling, even our inadequacies and our lacking, God works and does a mighty work in spite of us. You matter because you belong to Christ. I hope if there is one thing that sticks with you after this study is that if anyone ever asks you what is the theme of Colossians, you will remember it is the supremacy of Christ. We've said that not every week, but almost every week. It's the supremacy of Jesus, the preeminence of Him over all things. And because He is preeminent and you belong to Him, your life matters. You matter because you belong to Christ, because He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Because He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, because He has now reconciled in His body of flesh by His death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before Him. Because in Him we are rooted and built up and established in the faith. In Him we have been made alive together with Him, having, forgi- having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. Because in Him you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. In Him we are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. In Him you were called In one body. I don't expect you to have memorized the book of Colossians, but that was it right then. That was the summary of the book of Colossians. All those quotes, all those quotes are what we've taken and studied over these past 14 weeks and looked at. And it is because of who Christ is that your life matters, that you have significance, that every day and every hour that He gives you, however you feel about it and however we feel in that moment, is meant with purpose for His glory. And therefore, because of who Christ is, we can now hear these words as well from Colossians. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. These are Paul's closing words then signing with his own name, picking up the pen from whoever was transcribing it for him. He signs it and says, this is me, these are my words. Remember, Jesus Christ is Lord of all, supreme above all, worthy of our worship above all. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for Jesus, your Son, sent on our behalf to reconcile us to you, to redeem us, from the pit of death, to save us from our sins, to credit us with his righteousness that we may be included in this inheritance that is his. He now shares with us, Lord. We thank you for your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that in him we live and move and have our being. We thank you that in him we have a future and a hope that is sure Regardless of what the circumstances of our lives scream in our faces day in and day out, we know whose we are. Thank you for Jesus. I pray that we would see His preeminence in all things. That that truth, that reality would sink deeply into our hearts and transform us. That we would be useful to you because our lives are not our own. We've been bought with a price. That we would live in a way fully pleasing to you fully assured of your will for us, fully knowing that our future and our hope is seated with him in the heavenlies. We pray in his mighty and holy name. Amen.